Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for coming and spending some time with us today on the DJE Podcast. My guest is Cooper Drenner. He's an Austin native and one of the principals at Wildhorn Capital, who whom I have a very long relationship with and have been um, friends and business partners with Andrew Campbell, who's a, the other principal of that company for many years now. In fact, Andrew and I kind of came up in the multifamily business together and um, I have nothing but great things to say about Wildhorn Capital, their company based out of Austin. And Cooper is a really sharp guy. He grew up in real estate. So we talked about um, his background in real estate, uh, what's going on in Austin, Texas, and a pretty nuanced view of the of current things that are happening in the Austin, Texas real estate market. And then we talk a little bit about how they're viewing acquisitions right now. I mean, we talk a lot about multifamily, but also some build to rent stuff and some different new construction stuff they've done strategies for the current market cycle that we're in with with high rates and low proceeds on loans and things like that. So just a really intelligent guy. Enjoy the conversation. Clearly, he lives and breathes this stuff, and he's a Central Texas guy like us. So we um, we got along really well. I think you're going to enjoy the podcast with Cooper. If you're enjoying the DJE podcast, thank you. Thanks for spending time with us. A five-star review on Apple helps the show get out there more. So if you're inclined to leave a five-star review and uh, that, that helps the show. So I will uh, ask you for that and say thank you in advance. We're going to have a word from our sponsors and then get into this episode with Cooper. Here we go. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode's also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. Great to see you. How are you? Good to see you, Devin. I know it. we've been around each other a lot and been in some transactions, but never had a chance to really spend any time together. So this is a blessing on many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Really glad to, to have you on and, and talk about um, you know, my relationship with Wildhorn Capital, your company goes back many years and with your partner, Andrew Campbell, um, quite a few years now and, and some successful partnerships and have a lot of respect for Andrew. So glad to, glad to have you on and looking forward to talking Texas real estate with you guys, um, or with you, you guys are in Austin, we're down the road in San Antonio and you guys have assets up there and, and San Antonio as well, but before we kind of get into all that uh, shop talk for folks that you've not connected with that might be listening, what's um, what's your story? How'd you how'd you get into this real estate game? 
So very different than my partner. I, I kind of came at it naturally and traditionally. My, mm-hmm. I grew up with a father who's in the business. Yep. Um, always kind of known this is generally what I was going to do. He's a land use attorney here in Austin, which is a job for someone that lives in Houston makes no sense. But uh, in yeah. Austin, San Antonio, a big part of, of how development happens in these markets, how cities change and be shaped. Uh, graduated from UT with a finance degree and a concentration in real estate in 2007. Um, went directly into the business, working for a developer in Austin called Endeavor Real Estate Group as a retail leasing guy. About a year and a half before the last big correction that we'd all lived through. And so um, when retail was the the favorite asset class and then frankly, the, the first one to get torn down. So um Work, have worked in the industry and worked in the industry in Central Texas my whole career. Actually, born and raised in Austin, went to UT. So I haven't strayed too far from the coop, but I also uh, I really love this city and sort of view my role as an owner in this city, but then also mm-hmm. just as a citizen really, really seriously. So uh, it's the only industry I've worked in full time, full stop, and uh, been really fortunate to have a lot of great mentors and men and women that I, I count on that have helped teach it to me as I've, you know, lived and grown here. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's interesting. I, I grew up in San Antonio and I, I do kind of feel at this stage of my life and career, this kind of sense of stewardship over, over mm-hmm. this city that um, has changed a lot over the years. And my goodness, Austin, I mean, if you, if you grew up there, there was a, there was a period a number of years back where I thought like Austin has to be, it's kind of this plateau. And then Rogan moves there, Elon moves there. And I was like, I think, I think this is some other level that Austin is hitting now. It's wild, man. What well, Evan, I'll, 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 you, I'll is an interesting data point on that because I think yeah. it's interesting. Cause it that sentiment, oh God, what has happened with Austin? Yeah. My lifetime, there's sort of two Austins, but the one through line that has been consistent has been population growth. And yeah. I would ask you to check me on this. Uh, three mayors ago, a very successful, or four mayors ago now, uh, a man named Will Wynn, who was our mayor, uh, he, you can imagine the tagline was great. Will Wynn, Will Wynn for mayor. Oh, come on, he yeah. Was, <laughs> he was a mayor three or four mayors ago, really as Austin was ascending 05, 06, 07, used to use this as a stump speech. Austin has doubled in population every 20 years for the last 200 you can pick any 20 year swath in that 200 you've seen as double in population that has coincided with uh, democratic governors, Republican governors um, that has coincided with great economic development uh, programs in piss poor ones. Uh, and so we've, there has been this uh, belief that man, Austin has just grown unabated, but we're actually growing at the same rate we've always grown. What we are doing better is we are building a more sustainable economy. And that's when I kind of referenced the Austin I knew before mm-hmm. versus the Austin other. And so I grew up with a father in the business. And so I was super aware of recessions. I lived and breathed as a family recessions. He's a service provider in the real estate industry. Sure. Austin in the 80s, 90s, the recessions in the 80s, the recession in the 90s, and then the tech wreck in early 2000s. Austin had boomed and busted more than any economy in the country, really because that our economy as a city was sort of based on um, a lot of jet fuel, but not a lot of anchors and and being built like, you know, my faith always says being built on the cornerstone. Mm -hmm. So 
what really changed was, and it's actually kind of a full circle moment, our current mayor, a guy named, um, uh, well, our current mayor is actually in the second time that he has been our mayor. He was our mayor in 2001. His name's Kirk Watson. Oh, no kidding, huh? 2001 through 2004, and then was a state senator after that for representing Austin and then came back to be our mayor again. In a 102, we're on the back end of another bad recession where we've just recessed harder than any really market in Texas in the country. And I'm sorry, this is a long-winded answer, but it was no, the first great. time we actually put in place an economic development program funded by citizens, mm-hmm. which San Antonio, I don't know if you've heard about it, San Antonio is raising their first economic development fund 15 years after Austin. Um, and we're now finally starting to go at thinking about economic development um, as a as a joint city, which we really weren't, didn't have the ability or weren't able to do back then. But since that time, Austin's had four economic development funds. We've raised over $120 million in the private sector. And that has been why Austin, what has really changed, what changes from those of us that lived here before 03 to now is we now have an economy that is built on a plan. That's, we have an economic development plan that's fully funded. So a lot of the prosperity for those of us that have been in the trenches that long is we're not surprised or shocked by it. It feels great, but it is the basis of a lot of investment and work, not too dissimilar to how you build a business or you steward an asset. Like this wasn't easy. This wasn't sexy. Um, You know, Samsung started out is our largest, um, Samsung is our largest employer in the city besides the state. Samsung Mm -hmm. did not start out with the presence it had. That was a relationship that was stewarded and grown much the same way with Tesla. I mean, the first Tesla meetings happened over nine years ago. And you don't know what's going to come of that. There's no promise of how this works. But um, so that's really, in my view, what's changed about Austin, what's kind of been the jet fuel is this this, um, investment in our economy for the first time. And so many cities across the country come and study us and they leave with the same thing. And cities like Nashville have done it well. Hey, you hire the same you know, it's not rocket science. We hired the same consultants that we've hired who analyze your economy to help you build an economic development plan. You raise the money from the private citizens and you go run the play. And usually if you do that well and you're consistent, like all things, whether it's processes in your assets or fundraising for a deal, if you're consistent, good things tend to happen over time. So we're, we're, the, we're the quickest 15 year success story you've ever been around, but that's that's how at least those of us here tend to think about it. That's a great answer. Thank you for the detail on that. And that's, that's, um, that's, a, that's a lot to, to kind of chew on. And I think really helpful for somebody that is outside Austin looking in and seeing headlines or whatever. So I appreciate that, the, the detail on that. And it's been, it's been cool to, cool to see. I only get to Austin maybe once a quarter. I'm actually leaving to Austin right after we finish this up, which is kind of funny. Um, always love visiting there. There's always new um, buildings going up and it's such a vibrant, vibrant city. Um, Just kind of love everything about it. As is San Antonio for that matter. I mean, think about it, Devin, you and I about the same age, grew up in these two communities. I'm born and raised here. You're born and raised San Antonio. It used to be very distinct when you left Austin. And then there was that one HEB service center. That's like, looks like it's a half a mile long, but it's got one single door on it about the halfway point outside yeah. San Marcos. And then about halfway through, you go farmland and you get to Austin. But if you don't know better and you were to drive in an investor to come see a deal in Austin, or I'm driving one to see one of yours, it wouldn't be intuitive where Austin ended and San Antonio began and mm-hmm. why Buda 
really ends in New Braunfels begins and San Marcos is this big thing that's happening in its own right. And that's where I get excited about our two economies and our two places where we're investing are those cities, if we do it right for the next 15 years, San Antonio's strengths in many ways are Austin's weakness. Austin's mm-hmm. strengths are many ways San Antonio's weakness. That's right. And the jobs and the ways that we can grow our economy should be complementary if we're thoughtful about it. And so that's what I think some of the city leaders are starting to doing in both places is really helping those places. And we already both know, you'll see it on the drive, are growing together already. But how do we do that smartly too? Yep. Yep. hundred percent. It is pretty cool to, pretty cool to witness and to, to see all of that. Um, well, appreciate the, the, your kind of sentiment on Austin and, and peeling that back a little bit. What was, um, walk us through kind of you coming on board with Wildhorn, where you guys, how you guys were looking at asset classes and acquisitions versus kind of how you're, how you're looking at that now. So we're talking, Right at the beginning of Q2 2023, we're a year into the Fed being pretty aggressive on some rate hikes. Debt markets have changed. You know, things are always changing. Still kind of in this whiplash from, you know, the last three years and COVID and, and so forth. But, you know, what was what was Wildhorn when you came on board versus how you guys are kind of looking at acquisitions uh, in Central Texas now? Absolutely. So Wildhorn kind of pre-me coming on board, as you know very well syndicated deals, smaller 80s traditional value add, one early 2000s deal, maybe a little bit more heavily weighted San Antonio versus Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, That has since flip-flopped just life cycle of deals, life cycle of asset classes that we're chasing. Uh, What the decisions we've made in that gap, which is kind of almost four years, a little over four years now is we made the decision rather than going and chasing sort of an 80s value add strategy, Devin, and Okay, let's go to the markets everyone's going to. Let's go to Atlanta. Let's go to Raleigh, Durham. Let's go to Salt Lake City. We're gonna go. We're gonna go Nashville, but we're gonna go outside Nashville, and then we're gonna pick up some kind of tertiary markets that Amazon's doing a distribution center. Which I'm not bemoaning any of those places, but what we sort of have always realized and quickly is Andrew's born and raised from here. I'm born and raised from here. We used to have a third partner who's not from here, but had great perspective. We had a strategic advantage in these markets. It's They weren't giving them away in those places either. And deals, as you know very well, all deals, you're sort of good deals. You're figuring out some edge on the margin. And we always, I use this saying before, and I apologize if someone's heard it before, but it's the old uh, saying from the movie Rounders, where if you don't know who the market, the table is, that means it's probably you. Right. And so we've just always... For the reasons we're so convicted about this economy, we felt like we could make really smart decisions. And you know this as a San Antonio guy, incredible road network. That road network doesn't exist in Austin. So we can make decisions about jobs clustering around apartments because we know based on our some of our traffic and road issues that we kind of have a captive audience there. Mm-hmm. San Antonio, the world's your oyster. So, yeah. you, I mean, how many deals do you see called Medical Center in San Antonio? And if you don't really understand the nuances of that economy in that place, you're like, no, we're two exits too far. That's not the way the sit. That's not the way those road networks work. And so we've just always felt that, you know, that doesn't mean we won't go to those places, but we only really know one way to do it. And then in much the same way, we only know really one way as an operator. But so the decision we made was to be a little bit more six miles deep, six feet wide. So um, while we our preferred route is always to raise with our friends and family investor network, which 
you've been a part of and, and, and we're always looking to grow. And if anyone ever has interest, you can always go on our website, sign up to see our deals. But then we've also owned uh, about half our portfolio with institutional partners where those relationships in my background that I brought with me to Wildhorn and, and Andrew and, and our former partner Reed had built a great, a great company in itself. We just now have scaled it. But sure. we also made sure that we branded around what we now know we are, which is an Austin-based multifamily operator. So we own some brand new deals with a certain strategy, more of a core plus long-term mindset mm-hmm. down to still what we've always done, some 80s value add deals and um, are convicted about you know having a team and staff that makes us the best operator in the state. And that's that's sort of our North Star and what we think about every day. I love it. I love it. Appreciate the the overview there. So as the company's evolved, how how do you um, how do you and Andrew kind of work your your roles? Is it really clearly delineated, or is it kind of fluid on what you guys are working on day to day? I'm always interested to hear how partners work together in that capacity. You read our mail. I mean, things yeah. we do well. It, it's aside from my relationship with God and my relationship with my wife and kids. It's the most important relationship in my life, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we're always figuring out how we could do it better talking about how we do it better we're very different personality wise and our strengths and weaknesses are frankly very different so andrew isn't a very analytical thinker um i'm more of a i'm more of highly relational ideas person what we end up doing and sort of we try and make sure even in a relatively small team that our people always know hey they know that they work for both of us but I think it's really important people know where they need to go for an answer quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we try and make sure everybody sort of knows what a direct report is. We both, there were times where everyone was kind of doing everything at Wildhorn and we don't do that anymore. I tend to spend more time. What we like to do though, no matter what is either Andrew or I are the point on every asset in our portfolio. So there's not, and if an investor has an issue, if an investor or a partner has a question, the question is, who do I talk to Andrew? Or do I talk to Cooper? It doesn't mean the other one wouldn't be aware but it's my responsibility for a large portion of our portfolio to live and breathe it and to kind of be the full stop answer. Yep. And in much the same way, the same is true for Andrew. So we just think that's a little bit of our North star, but Andrew, as you know, has a marketing background and Mm. kind of loves to think in those ways. He tends to sort of look at all of our marketing spins and how we're doing and analyzing how our assets are performing in that way. I tend to just by proximity handling a little bit more of the construction CapEx work, just how we're churning through just those things. Those aren't because I'm super passionate about construction, but you also know this well. Sometimes the jobs, like everybody's got a, you know, sausage making is not always glamorous and everything in our business is important on the margin. So um, we do, uh, we do, we're small enough where we can touch it all, but we try really hard to make sure that we're not, um, that we're, we're punching above our weight class and kind of all those areas. And it's something just how he and I communicate and frankly, analyzing what's working and what's not is a regular part of our business. And I think he and I would both say much more than we ever thought, like the actual work of how you become a good manager and how you actually run the company is so much harder than doing the deals. Mm-hmm. And that's That was something that I didn't know this side of the business or owning the, my own company. Um, you would have thought the deals are the fun part. The deals aren't evergreen. You're, you're going to have to work hard to find them. But the actual how you run and lead people and grow people is is something I felt ill-equipped for looking back. Yeah, it's a it's a completely different animal. Um, 
it's funny. I got into real estate because I wanted cash flow and freedom and all this stuff. And, and I look back many years later and I'm like, I, I put on a jacket and a shirt and I go to work every day. I'm like, wait a minute. That wasn't what I signed up for. But all these years later, I got this big company. I, this is actually nothing I'd rather be doing um, than this and running a company and big teams and, and all that stuff. I mean, it genuinely is like the most fun that I have outside of, you know, stuff with family or, or whatever we do. So just kind of, kind of interesting perspective there. It's been a, a journey for sure for, for all of us kind of building these companies. Um, what have you, what are you guys seeing right now? We we're talking a little bit in the green room before we got started here about, about asset classes. You know, I had a coffee with Andrew a couple months back and we do that a couple times a year and just kind of check in, Hey, what are you seeing out there? And what are you guys doing now? Notice you pivoted to this thing and we're pivoting to this thing in an, you know, all to kind of stay relevant and viable and continue to find value in Texas real estate. So what's the, what's the view these days in terms of asset classes and, and different things that, um, that you guys are looking at or participating in? Well, I think first thing it's for both your investors and ours is we talk all these things about Austin and San Antonio, but we're kind of the kids that woke up on third base and pretend we hit a triple. Like yeah. this is where I was born and grew up. And so it just so happens that it's the place I know the best and it's a really vibrant place. And so being in multi-housing in central Texas makes you and many times look a lot smarter than you are. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and going through what I always, uh, someone said this to me is like, Hey, we probably go to a bunch of economic development or, you know, uh, economic where we're going to have a, some economists come in and give us the year look back or the year look forward. Those mm -hmm. have been dead wrong for the last 10 years. Sure have. Everyone you and I've been to was just dead yep. wrong. And yep. so um, I'm going to be careful to not speak for what I think I know is going to happen for someone listening to this goes, all right, this guy's got it licked. What we're always trying to do is take data, things that we know we can put our feet on, our portfolio performance, what we're seeing in the market put those against what we think we know, and then try and look back at history and see what decisions, what how it's smart moves we can make based on that. So I give that preface where a lot of people sit in the seat and act like they know what the Fed's going to do. Oh, I sure. I know what the Fed is going to do. And I listen and try and make good business decisions based on that. But <clears throat> to your point, Evan, it's, it's an interesting time out there because it does feel like Central Texas multi has been a favorite asset class. And there is more buyers than there are sellers, which is continuing to hold cap rates relatively low. And, and I heard this said, and it made a lot of sense to me. If I was investing my own dollars, it would be a great time to buy multi right now. Mm -hmm. But you could only buy the cow. You can't buy the milk as yep. well, right? Then, and the milk being cash flow. And so we've always sort of had to be comfortable with some form of negative leverage, but that's never been higher. But I would say, as we've been looking at deals, and we still tour every deal in the marketplace, it's just data for us. Like you should... We tried to every deal in San Antonio and Austin, um, but the data would say, and I would have been wrong a year ago, that there has been a correction in values more than I actually thought there would have been <clears throat> to where you can buy a deal in our space at a value that, man, it, it feels fantastic. If you just zoom out and look at it, values, you know, uh, let's go January 2021 versus now, you're like, man, that's a good value. Like that's- Oh my goodness. And then January 2022, even better. But the deal, and we were looking at one deal, the deals actually underwrote for cash flow at the much, much higher price, at the 30% higher price. 
Sure. It's a little bit as an investor, it kind of tricks you a little bit, right? Because it's that old adage when you go buy a car, the first thing they're going to ask you is what you want your payment to be. And yep. you should never be focused on what you want your payment. Right. You should be focused on what the price of the car is, right? And in much the same way, that's how we're trying to think right now about all things. But it's undeniable with where the Fed's holding rates that that gap, if somebody is investing in real estate because they're desiring near-term cash flow, it's a really, really hard time. Sure is. But it doesn't mean you couldn't make some incredible purchases right now with a different um, focus or belief on what you wanted that capital to achieve in the near term. That, man, you could make some great purchases because that gap is just arbitrarily being held there with a high Fed rate. We're trying also in much the same way to be um, thoughtful about where we think the gap is. I mean, about 80 to 90% of the, the uh, product that was under construction is on the sideline, either because their bank costs went through the roof, their lender won't lend to them anymore. Yep. They can't raise the money from an equity standpoint. Their, their partner walked or their investors are just skittish. Or, um, you know, frankly, the rents that they thought they were going to achieve, they don't believe they can achieve anymore. And so if you can figure out how to deal pencils into a construction deal right now, it's a great time because you're going to be delivering into a market that will have no supply. And right. that's one of the things we, on our website, we put out a, we put out a newsletter every month that we write. Andrew, I write it. Andrew writes it mostly because he, again, he's the marketing guy and he is a control freak about it, but we write them. And we really spend a lot of time thinking about what we're going to write about or talk about. So if someone that subscribes to our newsletter is actually getting our thoughts, and it's usually some kind of reflection of what we're seeing. And so one of the things we talked about this month was supply. Because mm -hmm. CoStar pulls these big supply reports, but these supply reports are just based on, like Devin, you and I, Devin knows land super well. You and I could go buy a track of land that could technically be zoned to build a thousand units of garden style multi on it. That would find its way into the CoStar supply report if we told somebody from CoStar that we could build a thousand units. Right. But that doesn't speak to have we broken ground? Do we have our financing? Is, do we even have our building permit through the city? And so yeah. Austin, not a little bit more than San Antonio, that process takes a little while and is a little harder. And so we tend to be, make it really hard to oversupply markets. But we're, we're trying to be thoughtful. We're, um, we broke ground on a deal with a partner in San Marcos where we had some sort of out of market, what I would call debt that allowed us to develop into a deal that had fixed rate debt. So we had seven years so we could live through kind of whatever the next three look like. Mm -hmm. um, we're working on some build to rent stuff right now where we really like the build to rent space where a lot of people the coming out of COVID, it becomes really clear desire to have a single family feel, but where, where rates are over the next, again, if this lasts two years, it's going to make harder and harder for people to purchase homes. Mm -hmm. Well, we really think that build to rent space is a really interesting space. And so we're hopeful to have a couple deals to bring out this year. And again, I love in a bumpy period, I love being under construction. If you can figure out how that makes sense. Yep. I love leasing into it. It's a lot harder when you were supposed to be exiting and your debts maturing. And so we've been also really fortunate and it's not because we're the smartest guys, but we're really fortunate that we've not had any real debt maturity issues that have caused us to be forced to do anything. And I think that's always guys like you and I's goal is uh, these are seasons to weather. Um, we're really lucky to be in an asset class and markets that make it relatively easy, but your best laid plans are your best laid plans. And sometimes, and some people are having debt maturities in the middle of this that make it really hard. So um, it's not lost on us as well. Yeah, there's no question. There's, there's um, a lot of interesting things happening there. Um, 
some of the, you know, the price per door, let's talk about price per door multifamily, which is silly. It should be price per square foot, but yep. still just kind of sticks. And, you know, we're, we're having our meetings, acquisitions meetings, and it's like, oh, this thing's 90s, 90s adored. You're, you're just scratching your head going like, man, we were kind of in that price point a few years ago. And then we broke six figures a door, no problem. Then it just kind of kept on sailing to 120. And this is like, you know, not new, not new stuff. This is B and C, 70s, 80s vintage stuff. And those numbers just kind of kept sailing. Um, so I think from a basis perspective, yeah, it's like, how do we get into some of these deals at this basis that you just know over a, a reasonable horizon is, is going to do well? And the the supply demand has not changed, right? It's not like people are leaving Texas all Absolutely. of a sudden. We just had a, 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 a whiplash of a rate situation with the Fed in the, in the last year. So it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. But the, the basis on some of this stuff, um, and who knows, you know, I mean, I, you remember when COVID hit March 2020, everybody, I, you know, I was getting cold calls from from people thinking we were going bankrupt. And it's like, man, you know, it's been two weeks. I think we can hang on a little bit longer, but people trying to scoop up deals and people saying there was going to be all these deals. So I don't know that that's going to be the case. You don't know if we're going to have a, a massive amount of bankruptcies or or um, deals to be had for pennies on the dollar. Maybe so, maybe not. My crystal ball is as good as yours, but it is kind of interesting to look at it from a basis perspective. And, and I'm with you on the construction. We've, we've kind of diversified out into some different stuff that we're under construction on and feel like, hey, you know, we've, we're feeling good about that. And um, the rest of it is just trying to kind of figure out how to not be in a spot where you're a forced seller. You know, if you're, if you're not a forced seller and you're not a forced buyer, and you can kind of ride things out. That's fine. And that's always been what we've all talked about, right? Is, hey, we're underwriting a five-year hold. And yeah, we usually exit in three. But if we get into a rough spot at three, we're going to hold for till four or five and just make sure we've got debt set up to be able to, to ride it out. So um, interesting, interesting times for sure. What, what are you guys- you're looking at uh, term sheets from lenders with you know 60% leverage when it was 85% leverage a couple of years ago. We're trying to squeeze out some cash flow. Are you guys looking at any sort of like mez or you know pref equity to kind of make stuff work? Or are you just kind of underwriting it with a capital stack of a senior debt and and equity? How, how are y'all thinking about kind of capital stack on stuff you're looking we, at we now? We refinanced the deal recently that we used some pref with a partner that we've already got nice. a deal with. And I think pref is interesting where it makes sense. We were always never max leverage guys still. Yeah, on. Good. Yeah. We never took more than 70% leverage. I think our whole portfolio sat at 63%, which is kind of why you sleep well. Oh man. The- yeah. That's really, I mean, that's low. That's awesome. That's well, really- and again, best laid plans. You make you right. for a while there, if you tracked our record, every time we fixed an asset, you should have floated it and vice versa. But of course. I would say, I would say recently, we have been really just thinking about the agencies. That's sort of, again, why multi is in such the role the agencies plays to provide liquidity. Yep. We have not thought the, um, we where bridge debt was being priced, we just thought doesn't make sense right now. And so um, we've been living in the agency. An interesting data point for you, Devin, and, and for our listeners, we there was a deal that came out in Austin that traded in South Austin. And it... Um, we'd heard through the grapevine and I, I, this was corroborated of the 11 ish groups that made it into best and final first time ever, all 10, 11 of them had the exact same debt. Oh, wow. 
how the options are right now, yeah. right? Yeah. What it looks like. And so again, to that point, if you're living in a place where there's just one option, it's not really good or bad, uh, but it is just, it is what it is. And so we're sort of living with what the market is yielding. But I think you you said it just a second ago, super well. If if our investors, you know, gave us all permission to say, hey, let's go find the best asset we can go buy. Let's not worry about cash flow. Let's plan for this and make sure that we're putting ourselves in the best position over the next five years. Those assets might make more money than anything we could have bought to the last two years. Right. But it's simply just a matter of what your expectations for your capital are. But I will say to your other point, Q3, Q4 last year, everyone was talking about all the blood in the street and the deals that they were going to go do when the market fell. I'm not hearing that anymore. Everyone's just sort of resigned mm-hmm. that it's a pause. And the funny part is the blood's in the street on the office sector. If you want to go right. buy an office building, you can go buy one for an eight cap. Your banker won't talk to you. Yep. And but and the funny part is no one wants to go buy that. Everybody wants the the risk, the more risk-free asset class at the very risky asset class pricing and wants the debt we were looking at in 2021. Yeah. And those things never sync up. And so having been through a few of these sessions, everyone talks about what they're about to do when the market corrects. And then there's a reason no one ever does it. It's because the debt never correlates to what they want. They, they want the price with the old debt. Hundred percent. You're not going to win both sides of the coin. You know, it's like people. Uh, you've been hearing this your whole life. I sold my house, and we sold it for 150 grand more than we bought it for. Congratulations. You know, are you planning on moving to another house, or are you going to move to an island somewhere? Yeah, we're going to buy a new house. Well, that house is up 250 grand. You're not winning both sides of that transaction at the same time. And um, yeah, it's funny. It's almost like a kind of a joke where every operator is like, well, there's going to be blood in the streets and people aren't well capitalized, except for us. We're fine. And we're, we're going to pick up all the pieces of everybody's deals. And it's like, okay, I don't, I don't know if that's going to, uh, if that's going to happen, but definitely interesting. And by the way, I don't, I never want to, I never want to put someone in position. And we've seen a couple operators who, who struggled or are going to sure. struggle and, yeah. and it's going to happen. And, and, there's been value erosion. I mean, undoubtedly stuff that you and I both own, if we sold it today, everyone will make less money. Yep. No um, doubt. No doubt. And that's why, that's why we, you know, project these five, seven year holds. I mean, exactly. And longer lens project cap rates to expand. And yep. that's, that's the big thing. I get questions from investors about other people's deals or my own. And I'd never try and comment on someone else's deal. Sure. But the biggest thing, if I was an investor and I was trying to give somebody some real advice, it was understand the three or four pivot points in someone's underwriting because you're never really seeing their real model and be able right. to ask them some baseline questions about assumptions that they're making. Yeah. Because an IRR is a really, really, I think, antiquated and kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit like price per door. It's what everyone's comfortable saying. So we have to talk about it because that's what an investor's the, the program to think. Mm-hmm. But you realize, you know, very well, you can't fake cash on cash, but you can make that IRR dance. If I'm willing to say rent growth in year three is seven versus three, you know, it's all these things that are baked into these models. And so I think it goes back to guys like you and and hopefully us is who are they? Is there yes, they're yes. Is there no, they're no. Are they an operator? Um, what's their track record look like? Have they just made money because cap rates have compressed? Mm-hmm. Are they actually operating and hit the markers in their business plan? Because I think what you and I are going to be experiencing over the next couple of years is like, we're going to be getting into our business plan. Like we're going to operate these assets within an inch yep. of our life and we're going to do a heck yeah. of a 
Yeah, that that's the truth. When I when I'm an LP in a bunch of deals, when I look at an operator, I'm looking for this person or this group's capability um, when they get punched in the mouth because it's coming. I mean, it just it can't not come. So, sure, you know, I've never seen a pro forma that looked bad. I've never seen an offering memorandum that that looked bad. Uh, they all look great up and to the right. But what's what's that operator going to do when it hits the fan? And um, I, you know, I, I like to see that somebody's kind of been been through some of that and has navigated their their way out of it. So you um, and I were in a deal together where we got roughed up a little bit, but we shot our way out of it. Um, yeah. Someone's going to steal from you. You're going to spring a leak. You're going to have a winter storm. Like yep. things you can't underwrite or plan for. I think the biggest thing we always say is happens to you once, shame on you. Happens to you twice and you didn't have a plan. So, mm. I mean, you and I know this well living here in Texas, but for someone not in Texas, the last three winters, we've gotten winter experiences that are child's play compared to someone that lives in Chicago, but nothing like we used to have growing up. Yeah. And we own assets brand new to 80s that weren't built to contemplate this weather. Yep. So if every February the world rolls around and we put our head under the covers and just hope it stays hot, like three years in a row, we've seen that that's not likely to be the case. And so we now have to think about like, we're analyzing our assets, like their military operations going like, <laughs> what's our weakness here? Like, right. We got some kitchens with exterior wall access. Well, we got to heat those up. So, you know, that's what you, you got to grow and learn from. And, and, you know, I, my business coach, I think, you know, well, is, you know, Trevor McGregor is an incredible mm-hmm. guy, but yep. the world's not happening to you. The world's happening for you. And in much this way, we try and think about these things that happen in our assets is like you get roughed up, but it's, it's, it is great experience because somehow it's going to apply to something else you own. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? And you have to have that outlook about it um, to kind of be able to get the benefit of, of these, uh, of these challenges, but they all have the benefit, right? I mean, they've all, all the challenges have an equivalent benefit somewhere. You might not see it in the, in the moment. Um, and so I, it's kind of the only way I'm able to operate is to just immediately look for that. Well, okay, something went wrong. We knew that we knew something was going to happen or multiple things. And what's, um, you know, think about like, as our companies have grown, it's all the pivot points have been pain points. Mm-hmm. You know, we started a management company out of a pain point. We did a hundred other things that we're glad about and have helped us succeed as a company all out of pain points and just pivoting. So um, love, love that outlook and love that, love that take on it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's great, man. So what do you guys, you, you know, we're kind of second quarter here, beginning of second quarter. What are you guys looking um, at for the rest of the year? Is it, you mentioned you're touring all the deals, continuing to, to look at that and underwrite. You mentioned build a rent, you mentioned new build, um, any other asset classes on the horizon, or just could kind of continue to operate and be opportunistic about stuff that, that hits your desk. And by the way, we still hope we find an acquisition deal or two that we're getting excited about. We sure, think yeah. and, and so we're, you know, we're trying to be consistent. We can only, con- I can't control, like I said, Fed fund rate. If I did, I should be very wealthy and yeah. not anyone else's money, but we're still out looking for a- uh, opportunities. I think the last thing, just my background and in, in our city is, is around, I would say kind of covered land plays, alternative options where um, we don't know the raw land space as well as you do, Devin, and kind of the stuff you've touched on and done. But what we do know really well is, city trends and kind of where our cities have grown evolving and, and feeling like, Hey, how do we step into a deal that has light industrial on it? But yep. we know it's 12 acres and we can go get those re those 12 acres with some kind of tweak and entitlements. 
while we're operating them with the industrial on top. And so we've always sort of been generalists in that we are central Texas guys. We operate and, and understand multi-best. And so that looks that looks different. That doesn't mean we're going to move off and buy an office building tomorrow and become office operators, but we're always looking for well-located pieces of real estate in both of our cities where we think there's value creation through entitlements as well. And I think that's something you can only underwrite as well as you can when, you, when you're in those cities, when you sort of understand. So if you pay attention to our city councils, they tell you what they're looking for. Right. Um, I, just, I guess, by habit of how I grew up, I watch most city council meetings we have on Thursday nights. They're, they're telling you what they think. And right. so um, we're always trying to pay attention to that as well. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's such a local advantage that you have, um, both of you guys, both you and Andrew and the team there. So, well, this is awesome, Cooper. Really appreciate catching up. Awesome. Love you shedding some light on Central Texas and what you guys are up to. If somebody listening wants to connect, what's a good avenue for that? You can find me on LinkedIn and we're on the socials, or you could obviously, if you want to see what we do and, and read our stuff, you know, wildhorncap.com is, is our website and um, you can, you know, put your email in there and we're not spamming you again. It's, it is us on the other end of the equation and our contact info is on there as well. So if you ever want to set up a meeting, we have a director of investor relations named Monet Bennett, and we can set that up as well. But we, we desire to kind of know the people that are in our business and, and some of the best relationships we have start off things like that as well. So we're always um, growing that avenue as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I just got an email uh, from Monet on some on some uh, partner stuff today, so yeah. appreciate that. And I have uh, always appreciated the newsletters; extremely consistent and thoughtful and authentic. So, thank you guys for putting out that content. I appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can scroll down and click through to the to the website there and connect with Cooper and team. Um, so we'll wrap it up with that. Thanks uh, very much for jumping on. I appreciate it, and I wish you guys. Um, success here in the, in the year ahead and whatever stuff the market's got in store for all of us, but um, love what you guys have done with Wildhorn and look forward to catching up in person soon. Thanks, Devin. Appreciate you having me on. All righty. We'll see you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.